Good morning. Thank you all for being here and for giving me the opportunity to share my story with you. You know, I don't ever remember a time in my life when I wasn't an environmentalist. Perhaps I didn't always know the term, but I feel like I was born with a heart that bled for animals and the world we share together. Growing up in the 80s, we were briefly introduced to the ideas of global warming, endangered species, and recycling in elementary school. While I didn't understand how any of these concepts related to each other, or how the bigger systems of industry contributed to the health of our world, I knew that any action that I or my family could take was important, and that our natural spaces and animals deserved conservation at all costs. I grew up watching the adults in my life begin to try to understand how the world was changing from a general mindset of personal conservation that was brought on by the economics of depression and war to a rapidly escalating population that favored disposable and single-use items that made it easier to keep up with the increasing demands of our lives. Scientists were being scientists and studying the environment, but direct messages on how we solve these problems were not always communicated. I remember listening to the adults around me discuss the overall worth of recycling if we had to use water first in order to clean the recyclables. I also remember adults um, beginning to request plastic grocery bags at the store when they became available because that seemed like a better alternative to cutting down trees for bags. My mom and my aunt, though, were trailblazers for recycling and reducing. My mom said that those Lunchables that all the kids got to have for lunch, well, I couldn't have them because they had too much packaging. Um, I didn't really appreciate that at the time, but now I find myself echoing similar sentiments to my children. <laughs> my aunt was carrying reusable bags to HEB before it was cool or trendy, or really before anybody knew why she was doing it. San Antonio did not have the curbside recycling program in the 80s that we do now, so naturally my mom would collect all of our trash and then every time we would drive up to San Marcos, which was an early adapter of curbside recycling, to visit my aunt, we would bring a trunk full of trash and dump it in her bins. This seemed to me normal, and it also seemed like the right thing to do, and it imprinted on me heavily. I have always felt what I can only assume equates to Catholic guilt whenever I throw away something that I could have put in a recycling bin. I spent years decades, really, of my life taking any individual action that I could to reduce my impact. And like so many of us, I was gaslighted by the fossil fuel industry and large corporations into thinking that it was us. It was our fault and our choices that created the problems we face. Our desire for hairspray created the ozone layer. Driving our larger cars was bad for the earth. My straw from that iced coffee I got on my way to work, well, that was why there's a garbage patch the size of Texas in the Pacific Ocean. And the straw from my morning caffeine fix was certainly going to go on to kill some animal after I was done with it. Treading lightly is a relentlessly impossible task and a heavy burden to bear. It has crushed my soul and at times made it hard for me to be compassionate to my neighbors. For years, I walked through life observing the actions of others 
was silently critiquing and judging their personal choices. And if I did this enough, it could drown out my own anxieties and guilt. The judgment of my fellow brothers and sisters was big enough to occupy the space in my head that I usually reserved for the judgment of myself. This was an existence that was simple. I could keep score between myself and everyone around me. I could justify why I did some things, but not others. It was black and white. Some people aren't even trying. Well, I'm trying. Some people do not care. I care. It's their fault, not mine. My transformation from a judgmental person to a more sympathetic, environmental justice-seeking human has been very gradual and is still a daily work in progress. After my children were born, the individual actions that my family would take just suddenly did not seem like enough. Whether it was the maternal dread and guilt I felt knowing that we are leaving the next generation with an unsustainable and insecure future, or that I was just more aware of the discussion scientists and the public at large were having about the environment, something began to light a fire inside me. My first thoughts, again, were on how we need to all be drastically doing more. So maybe the solution to the problem would be if I spent my energy sharing, or more appropriately, shouting and judging, my unsolicited advice with others. That certainly would fix things. But over time, my view has shifted. Perhaps it was the parade of natural disasters, one after another after another, that would claim lives, destroy everything in their path indiscriminately, all while practically screaming at us, the consequences of climate change are here right now. That has begun to open my eyes more. When years ago it was about saving one specific species from extinction or preserving a particular ecosystem, now it is undeniable that we have not been the stewards of creation that we are tasked with being. We have disrupted the balance in such a way that the laws of physics have left us at their mercy. The ramifications of climate change do not care if I'm drinking from a reusable water bottle while my neighbor is not. However, it is clear that those who have less suffer more during extreme weather events, sliding them ever further down the ladder of poverty, while the more fluent are able to file insurance claims, rebuild, and continue the cycle of consumption. But this is a much more complicated than a story of a gap between the haves and the haves not widening. In our story, everybody along the socioeconomic spectrum will suffer from the actions of those in power who put profits above environmental responsibility. While these industries and corporations continue to profit and influence policy, we have become to believe that again, the destruction has been all our fault. Now individual choices are impactful and necessary. But in an effort to find more ways each of us can do our part, we've forgotten to shine a light on the privilege it takes to be able to invest in personal sustainable practices, and that our actions will be but a drop in the bucket without drastic top-down structural change. So perhaps our efforts would be just as well spent on this as they are on composting. Okay, but how do I do this? And when do I do this? 
These questions would bounce back and forth in my brain, but often the day-to-day -day life of caring for two small boys would take precedence. I floated along, busy but bored, wanting the next step, but feeling lost. Then one Sunday morning in March of 2019, I sat in a pew here next to my mom, listening to a guest sermon by Bishop Jennifer Brooke Davidson titled, Your Burning Bush, where she told the story of Moses, God, and the burning bush. Then she asked us, what is your burning bush? What is burning inside your soul and will not go out and you cannot escape or unsee? It was clear and obvious then that the state of our planet how we care for it and all that are part of it, was burning inside of me, had been burning inside of me, and was not about to go out. As a person with the privilege of being able to choose the kind of work I would like to pursue, I knew that my time on this earth needed to be spent caring for it, and I wanted my children to see me doing that for them and for all living creatures. Quickly though, I realized I was not gonna be the woman who would just drop her children off at kindergarten and then single-handedly save the planet before Carline that afternoon. <laughs> I did though slowly begin to believe that I could impact positive change within our own local environmental systems here in Central Texas. In times of worry and uncertainty, I've always taken solace in facts, numbers, and science. So I decided to return to school for a master's degree in environmental science here at the University of Texas, San Antonio. Starting a graduate program as a middle-aged mother during a pandemic was a little nerve-wracking, but also exhilarating. I was meeting scientists in our community and I could see myself belonging. Sometimes you are in the right spot at the right time Sometimes you realize that your past actually led you right where you need to be, and maybe those choices you thought were distractions were actually part of the plan all along. This is how I feel about where I am right now and the opportunity I have as a graduate student to do my thesis work on the Guadalupe Bass that live in the Mission Reach of the San Antonio River. The restoration of the Mission Reach has been something I have been so proud of as a San Antonian, even though I have had no hand in it. When I moved back to San Antonio in 2015, I came home to a city that had been working on improving and adding green spaces, taking steps to become more sustainable with resources, and on restoring and conserving their natural ecosystems. San Antonio did all this without much credit or acknowledgement from anybody outside of the city limits. The restoration of a 17-kilometer stretch of the upper San Antonio River by the San Antonio River Authority represented to me all that I love about this city. The River Authority was working on not only restoring original ecological function to the river, but also creating recreational opportunities for residents and tourists through walking and cycling paths, fishing, bird watching, and kayaking. We will not protect creation if we do not love it and respect it, and that starts for most of us by being in it. When I'm feeling overwhelmed by the task at hand of caring for this planet, the restoration of our local mission reach can give me hope and help re-energize me. As part of this restoration, the River Authority worked with Texas Parks and Wildlife Department to reintroduce the Guadalupe bass to the mission reach. Our state fish has become popular with sport anglers, but this stream-dwelling fish has been inhabiting and sharing its space with us unnoticed by many. 
Confined to the Edwards Plateau, Central Texas is the only place where you can find this agile creature. The Guadalupe Bass's nat native range within Central Texas exposes it, though, to the impacts of rapid urban human growth and agriculture use, such as solid waste pollution, toxic chemicals, poor water quality, and altered stream flows due, the, due to the increase of runoff from all the additional sidewalks and roads we have constructed. The intentional introduction of smallmouth bass for sports fishing has also posed a severe threat to Guadalupe bass, but so far recent management techniques of both populations do seem to be successful. Prior to the restoration, the Mission Reach was a textbook example of how urban streams are altered to serve the goals of the community, such as for flood control, without much protect protection for these complex ecosystems. As San Antonio grew and the impacts of this human population was reflected in the San Antonio River, the Guadalupe bass were most likely extirpated from the Mission Reach. The San Antonio River Authority and Texas Parks and Wildlife wanted to reintroduce this native fish. The habitat needs of the Guadalupe bass, as well as other stream fish, were taken into consideration during the engineering and construction phase of the restoration. Then between 2015 and 2016, 84,000 young Guadalupe bass were introduced back to the Mission Reach. Informal surveys, assessments, and genetic analysis have shown that by all accounts, this has been a successful reintroduction, and the Guadalupe bass are reproducing in their new home. Now, though, that it has been six years since the introduction, a formal assessment of the population is needed, and I am fortunate enough to be involved in this project that is a collaboration between UTSA, Texas Parks and Wildlife, and the San Antonio River Authority. We've already completed the first of five two-week sessions of fieldwork to collect this data. Each season, our teams will be sampling, identifying, weighing, and recording the presence of Guadalupe bass throughout the Mission Reach. This will provide us with the data necessary to statistically estimate the entire population, and by sampling, time, sampling multiple times throughout the year, we can also determine if Guadalupe bass are using the unique habitat features that were specifically engineered as part of the restoration. This will be the first scientifically collected data on a pure population of Guadalupe bass in an urban area, which is critical knowledge to have if we want to continue to protect this indigenous species that is confined to a highly populated area of Texas. Additionally, the success of the Guadalupe bass is a strong indicator that the restoration undertaken by the San Antonio River Authority has been successful. Guadalupe bass cannot persist in streams with poor water quality or they're heavily polluted, and healthy populations of native species can indicate that non-native species are not disrupting the ecosystem. More importantly to me, though, I feel this is the successful re uh, restoration of the Mission Reach and reintroduction of the Guadalupe bass can serve as a, as a model to other urban ecosystems in other cities. It is all too easy for us to focus on the destruction that we have left in our path. So examples of how we can repair and move forward are more critical now than ever before. It's also been healing to me to recognize the role that I can play in renewal and restoration. The Mission Reach was ecologically damaged before I was born. Scientists and activists recognized this when it wasn't even remotely on my radar. The San Antonio River Authority began planning the restoration long before I moved back to San Antonio, 
and the Guadalupe bass were being reintroduced to their home while I was bringing babies to mine. My advisor at UTSA, along with members of Texas Parks and Wildlife and the San Antonio River Authority, well, they were drafting and writing the proposal to apply for a state wildlife grant to procure the funding necessary to study the Guadalupe bass all before I even started my application for graduate school. Yet I'm still able to contribute to this project that so many others have touched in some way. I know now too that once this study is completed, I will be able to find another project to devote my efforts to, whether it be an original project of mine or jumping on board a project that is ready to go and just needs more enthused workers. We do not have to be the ones always at the front lines with the big voices taking on the powers of industry to make a difference. No one can do everything all the time. But we can all be stewards of Earth in our own unique ways. Every action we take for creation matters, and every action is an act of love for all that are here, all that have been here, and all that are yet to come. Amen. Thank you.